Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Recently, I was uh, talking about the incredible uh, structure in trees and the um, DNA codes that um, are responsible for developing a, a tree from you know such a tiny little seed and the amazing codes, genetic codes that are in um, the the seeds. And uh, to me, it's just powerful evidence of a creator, of, of design, the way trees function. And as I thought a little bit further about it too, um, all the different varieties of, of fruit, for example, and nuts that uh, you know provide food for uh, ourselves and animals, and all this information is encoded in the DNA that is in that little seed that's programmed to you know, germinate under certain conditions, um, to take the energy from the sun and use that to uh, capture uh, materials from the air and the soil and, and build the tree and then, and then produce the fruit. And, you know, it, it really frustrates me as um, within our education system that we continue to you know, educate young people that these amazing systems somehow arose by chance mutations, and yet, you know, their their their, their function is 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 so perfect. And as I was thinking about this too, I was thinking that the Bible tells us that Jesus was the Creator, that God came to Earth, made Himself as as a human and lived amongst us as a last resort to explain to us how good God was and how much he he loves us and how much he wants us to turn to him and have a relationship with him through our minds, which he created. Uh, Because there is going to be a time when uh, the earth... um, uh, comes to an end when God brings judgment on the earth the, um, and puts an end to all the wickedness and bad things that are happening on the earth, and that that makes so much sense and and reason too because we see you know so much of the earth's resources running out we see the extent of of pollution and so forth, and it reminded me uh, too as I thought about this that that Jesus who came was actually put to death on a tree, on a, on a cross made out of wood, the very wood that he designed. And as I you know, have talked about um, in one of the recent programs, timber is, is so versatile and yet it was uh, the device on which God himself allowed to uh, be killed in our place that we might um, uh, be forgiven uh, for the wrongs that we've done and, and choose God and, and choose to accept that forgiveness and, and change our lives, bring, uh, choose to bring our lives in, in harmony with God. And as I read the, the Bible and, and the Bible describes in so many ways God's love for us and over, over time, over thousands of years, you can see that the knowledge of God has only just been preserved by a thread. There's been, we can see that evil, evil forces, um, 
major, you know, pagan ideas and and religions have uh, attempted to stamp out and wipe out knowledge of the of the true God down through the ages, but it survived. And that's why, to me, it, it's so precious. And the fact that we have the Bible today, as we look back through history, there's so much evidence that, again, the Bible as we have it today has survived by a thread. It, it's been miraculously preserved from being destroyed and wiped out so that we don't have that knowledge. But there are other things, too, as we look out in nature, there are other evidences for God. And as I, uh, you know, was contemplating that yes, one day God is going to bring an end to all the bad things happening on this earth and and recreate the earth and and recreate us too with bodies where our biochemistry doesn't run down and come to equilibrium. Um, in a situation where we can, we will live to it forever, um, and it will be a. Um, a situation, a, a perfect situation where life can can go on and we can enjoy this relationship with God, our Creator, and and with uh, with each other as God designed. Because you know, as we look in nature, there's just so much evidence of an intelligence behind everything around us. But at the same time, too, we have these reminders that in the past, people. Uh, were not good. There was much wickedness in in the past. And when we look at the cultures around the world, um, a huge number of cultures have a record of the destruction of the earth by mostly by water. 95% of these cultures have their destruction by water as by the flood, which is preserved. The record of the flood is preserved in the Bible account in uh, Genesis there, in those early chapters of Genesis and the account of uh, Noah and, um, and the flood. And again, when we look at the different cultures around the world, China, North America, South America, even um, the uh, Australian um, indigenous uh, 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 cultures had uh, a record of uh, the flood in Africa, the different in Europe, of course, many in, in Europe uh, and India. Uh, these these records are, are there of this flood, and uh, essentially most of them, three more than three quarters of them, as I recall. Um, associate the reason for this destruction of the world by water was because people had become so wicked. Matter of fact, one of the North American um, accounts, Indian accounts, is that uh, yeah they were no longer caring for their children and, and looking after their children. And really, as uh, scientists... Um, Look at um, uh, you know secular uh, well as secular geologists claim that during the Cretaceous period, uh, that's the period when the limestone was uh, uh, put down, a lot of the limestone chalk deposits, um, that it uh, ended with one of the Earth's mass extinction events, and that at the one time during this period, most of the world was under water. So here we have evidence from uh, science for the global flood in the Cretaceous period. And, you know, just look it up in the geology textbooks. And one of the powerful um, evidences for this 
that just stands out as the well-known White Cliffs of Dover. Now, these iconic white cliffs uh, are on the south coast of England and, of course, you know, they've, they've been photographed many times and they're perhaps one of the uh, uh, recognisable landmarks of the British Isles. They're, they're actually uh, huge. They, the cliffs themselves on the English side stretch for about 16 kilometres on either side of the port city of Dover, and they're about 110 metres high, 360 feet high. And, of course, there's corresponding white cliffs across the, uh, the English Channel uh, near the port city of Calais um, in France. Now, these cliffs are white because of the uh, chalk um, content that they have. And um, the, this chalk deposit, massive chalk deposit, uh, it extends further into the North Sea, um, and in some places it's over a thousand metres in in thickness. Um, it also can be seen further inland across England and Northern Ireland, and also in Northern Europe, um, and uh, you know right across to uh, Turkey. And of course, similar massive chalk beds also can be found um, in North America. Uh, for example, in the states of Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, Nebraska, and Kansas. Now, chalk itself is a is a relatively soft rock. Um, it's uh, nearly a hundred percent calcium carbonate, um, and it actually comes from the skeletal remains of little single-celled algae, marine or uh, single-celled marine algae type organism called plankton. And in the uh, Dover chalk, um, the uh, predominant type of uh, plankton is called uh, cocolithophores. And these have an external uh, little skeleton of the uh, calcium carbonate called uh, the cocosphere. And uh, these little spheres are made up of tiny little plates of, uh, of, of a crystalline form of calcium carbonate called calcite. And um, these plates, um, they're, they're, they're quite pretty, actually. If you see uh, pictures of a scanning microscope image of uh, plankton, um, and they're sort of made up of all these little plates are sort of like the shutters on an old-fashioned um, camera that slide over one another and they're they're um, and they form sort of like little uh, upside down breakfast bowls made out of these shutters, and um, they're 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 quite interesting. And so as the little animals uh, grow, these plates are shed during the life, but they also remain after the little plankton dies, forming a sediment on the ocean floor. Now, of course, um, the uh, Geologists and you know, most of the textbooks that are supporting this old earth theory um, say that the chalk formed gradually over you know, millions of years and it was supposedly laid down in placid, shallow, warm oceans during the Cretaceous period. And so, you know, they, they say that as these 
little uh, plankton, uh, the calcite crystals, calcite material on this plankton settled um, over, you know, 60 uh, or 70 million years. Um, they are just solely deposited. But the thing is, if that had really happened, and that was really the reason why these very thick uh, chalk deposits are found, we would expect to find, mixed with these layers, all the erosion sediments being washed off the earth. They should uh, be all mixed in with this, um, with this chalk, but it isn't. Although um, the chalk can vary in, in different consistencies, but it doesn't vary in purity. You know, the, these thick beds, and when you, when you think of, as I said, you know, 100 metres thick and more up to, you know, half a, up, up to uh, a, a kilometre thick, um, they're, they're pure. They're 98% pure calcium carbonate. And so we have just very obvious evidence that they can't have been deposited slowly over millions of years. They wouldn't be that pure. It just wouldn't work. Instead, a, a creationist model can explain this very well. Um, creationist geologists um, associate the, um, the deposit of these to a, a period during uh, Noah's flood, uh, probably when the flood waters uh, peaked and, uh, you know, blotted out everything. Um, and um, this model then fits the de deposition. If this material is deposited very rapidly during the flood, um, that would uh, fit quite well. Um, it's interesting that recently um, secular science have suggested that all the calcium carbonate for Dover's White Cliffs came from giant blooms of uh, the algae, and um, uh, in when the water is warm, the algae can grow explosively. And um, uh, at certain times, these algal blooms have occurred and um, they're, they're even visible from space because the sea appears lighter due to the sunlight of the reflecting little calcite plates. And um, again... Um, these blooms that um, can occur yearly, particularly in the Antarctic Ocean, um, uh, seem to uh, stem from large quantities of nitrate and other nutrients um, upwelling from um, the, uh, the, the surface, from waters that are being carried up. And so we have now a mechanism that would explain if we have warmer water during the flood that this could quickly cause a, a very rapid bloom of these sort of uh, uh, materials. So there's some factors now that um, suggest that the flood would be the ideal scenario to produce one of these massive blooms uh, that would then have been flocculated perhaps by very small amounts of uh, um, hydrothermal, um, uh, uh, very tiny hydrothermal particles. Matter of fact, um, many of the chalk uh, uh, coccolinths have a very fine covering of a mineral called 
smectite. Now, this is a type of clay mineral, and it's a hydrothermal product formed by the action of hot water, generally in a volcanic setting, that's injected into the um, uh, the ocean from um, the uh, from volcanic vents. And it's interesting that the smectite makes the uh, the coccolith settle out of suspension very quickly. Uh, it's similar to the industrial wastewater treatments that we call flocculation, um, using, for example, bentonite, um, which is a, a type of clay uh, contain which uh, primarily contains uh, smectite. And so, what we have, in actual fact, from observations today, and when we look at the fact that there's this very, very fine coating of uh, this smectite in the um, in amongst the um, calcite uh, that makes up the white cliffs, we have a model, a scientific model, that fits and explains how this very, very thick layer could form. The interesting uh, thing is, too, that the position of most of the chalk in the geological record indicates that it is flood rock, that it's formed as floodwaters were rising towards their peak levels. And creation scientists have actually developed models that um, have ha, can explain this and, and actually fit the scientific data. Um, if you want to look at one of the uh, models that has been proposed that would explain this very well, if you Google creation.com uh, forward slash biblical hyphen geology hyphen model. So I'll just read that again. So Google creation.com forward slash biblical hyphen geology hyphen model. And so we actually have models where that fit the observational evidence that we make today that fit also the flood scenario. In other words, the flood scenario with hot water from volcanic eruptions, the fountains of the deep, much volcanic activity coming up, these minerals that are formed that then would flocculate, well, there'd be a rapid bloom of the, um, in the warm water and also the, all the rich minerals that are being released into the water uh, from the uh, volcanic sources really promote rapid growth of the algae and um, then, of course, this uh, mechanism of settling them out, and that's exactly what we find when we look at the minute composition of these um, things like the um, uh, white cliffs of, of Dover. Now, you know, one of the things, too, I think that people can forget, uh, you know, particular secular geologists when they don't want to accept the flood model is that the the flood model was a major catastrophic event. There were massive movements in the Earth's crust at that time. And, and of course, you know, and, and towards the end of the flood or just after the flood, the mountains were pushed up. Um, there, large, there would have been massive movement of, of land masses that caused the mountains to be pushed up. The mountains were able to be pushed up and moved because these sediments that had been laid down were still relatively soft. They were fresh from the flood. And again, as I've spoken many times before, when we look at the size of the formations like the Coconino sandstone in the United States, the Morrison Formation, 
these are massive amounts of material coming, you know, covering thousands of square miles that have been moved, you know, of sedimentary material spread over this massive area. You know, this isn't some little local flood like we observe uh, today, you know, due to rainfall, you know, a cyclone and typhoon. It was a massive catastrophic event. This provides really the perfect conditions for the formation of chalk, the fast-moving warm water, vast quantities of suspended biological material would have triggered an explosive worldwide growth of algal blooms and all the mechanisms for rapid colicot thinking would have been amplified to a huge extent during the flood. Um, and because the availability of algal food was increased, um, grazing plankton would massively proliferate and they would excrete their uh, coccolinths and form the, these you know, little fast-thinking um, crystals or little plates of, of uh, calcite. Uh, so again, um, the flood currents would have swept this, uh, this uh, calcium-based rich material into deeper areas of the ocean form, um, which geologists call basins, somewhere like the North Sea in northwest Europe, and then it would have accumulated there and that, uh, to these thicknesses and then, of course, been uh, pushed up later. So, again, the, the flood model um, fits because, again, these deposits, if the evolutionists have it for the huge thickness that they have, if you have this slow, uniformitarian evolutionary model, it's going to take you millions of years and you're going to have contamination by massive amounts of erosion sediments at the same time. The flood model for the massive rapid growth of um, algal blooms, the shedding of their calcite plates, um, the deposition of this material on massive scale very rapidly and then the movement of this and pushing it all uh, together into these basins, pushing them up afterwards, um, you know, fits so well, that the, the flood model. Of course, the other thing that, you know, scientists forget that the two, with, with the flood model and the warm water would have, after the flood, generated in actual fact a massive ice age with the uh, increased evaporation of the uh, water, you know, forming the clouds, and then you get the, the cooling effect um, from the loss of energy there. And again, this exactly fits the evidence we have for an ice age post-flood, uh, which again led to the um, destruction of a lot of the uh, and preservation of the lot of the the giant uh, fauna after the flood. Now, uh, creationist uh, scientists and um, meteorologists have calculated that this cold ice age event probably occurred about five hundred years after the end of the flood. So it wasn't something that occurred straight away, and so during that time, of course. The animals would have proliferated uh, over that time. And we know that um, there were many, um, you know, large animals that lived um, in the past. And we know that they, you know, lived with humans as well. But then they were wiped out. And, of course, this um, Ice Age change, you know, um, 
accounts for the explanation of the animals like the giant ground sloth, the saber-toothed tiger, the giant Irish elk, uh, the dipropetodon that you find in Australia, uh, the glyptodon and the toxodon, these other giant um, animals uh, that are no longer with us, uh, that we find evidence of that they were... Uh, seem to be wiped out during the Ice Age event. It's interesting that um, when we look at the Ice Age model, if you have the, the, the global flood, then you've got warmer oceans, milder winters, you've got increased evaporation, but this then leads to more rain and snow uh, and higher rainfall in areas that later become arid. And the, all this process leads to the build-up of ice sheets at the same time, after the flood, we would have had volcanic dust in the stratosphere, which again led to the cooler summers, minimal ice meltback, and the lower sea levels that uh, we have. Uh, that's during the, the flood. And then, of course, several hundred years after the flood, as the oceans cool, we get reduced evaporation, we get less rain and snow, and the ice cover retreats. And uh, at the same time, we'd have dust in the atmosphere clears, we have hotter summers, and the ice melts back in the summer and the sea level rises. And this corresponds to a time when we have mass extinctions of the larger animals, including your woolly mammoths and so forth. And uh, whereas just after the flood, these animals like you know the reindeer, woolly mammoth and so forth, they would have with the milder rivers, uh, winters and that, just after the flood, would have, uh, you know, uh, would have increased in population. So it's amazing. When we look at the pictures of the evidence that we have today, the flood model f explains just so much of what we observed. You know, the massive evidence of animals being wiped out during the Ice Age and, and so forth. And I think, you know, as we look at this evidence that the Bible record is, is a true record of history. And when we look at what the Bible says about, you know, evil and so forth that in, the, in the world, it fits. It fits the psychology. It fits human behavior. And the beauty of it is, though, that it also portrays that God has a solution. And that solution is through God recreating the world again, but this time without sin. And the important message is that, and the gospel message is that Jesus, who died, was raised from the dead. He became alive again because he was God. And that was the evidence that he really was God. And on that basis, as we choose Jesus to be our saviour, and that is that because we've all done wrong, we, we have all done bad things. And what God wants to have a world, a system where people don't do bad things, where they live perfectly. And that is going to happen. And it happens through people choosing to want God to change them. Um, through, And that happens when people choose, miraculously, when people choose Jesus as their saviour. So read your Bible and begin going to a Bible-believing church. And remember, you can hear these um, talks again by googling 3abnaustralia.org.au, or one word, and click on the radio um, and then on the listen button. 
You've been listening to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 